Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we are equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Welcome to episode nine of the Three Little Things podcast. My name is Sarah and I'm joined with my co-host Lily and we have Charity back for another episode. So if you are new to this episode, Charity was on our episode eight where we talked about all things energy and cortisol and how to yeah, hack your own energy for the day. And she gave us some beautiful tips and hacks on um, yeah, your energy levels through the day. So we started with morning, during the day and then evening as well. So if you want to hear that episode, jump back to episode eight and you can hear um, all things energy with Charity on that episode Really interesting episode, by the way. I think we just um, asked you so many questions, Charity, and I came away incredibly well informed and still not enough, of course. And I loved all that um, information about cortisol levels, um, inflammation, histamine, um, mood, learning, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we all know it starts from when a child is um, tiny, in utero, mum's health and so on. So I know it's going to be a big topic today, um, but you are going to cover um, a really important thing, which is how to feed our, our young children their first foods and, and what and timing and so on. So I'm looking forward to today. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, exciting topic. Baby's first foods. I'm going to make it nice and simple for everyone listening in because I know it can be a confusing, stressful, messy time. So I'll make it as easy and fun as possible for you and for Bub, of course. So just hit us off with a couple of fun facts about yourself, Charity, uh, before we start in today's topic. Yeah, sounds great. So I was born and raised in Northern California, but have been uh practicing and living in Australia for the last few years, actually studied nutrition in the United States and then in Western Sydney, um, where I got my degree and certifications and even did some culinary certifications as well. So I currently own my own practice called Freshwater Nutrition in Freshie, not too far from the beach here in the Northern Beaches, where I help people put nourishment back into nutrition, find a balance of healthy and happy and make food that tastes good, looks beautiful and works well for their unique family and lifestyle. Make it as simple as possible. Beautiful. And last time we heard about all these recipes too. So I do urge you to go back to our previous episode, episode eight. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> and I mean, one of the overarching um, themes of our podcast is that the only control we really have um, around health is over our own bag of cells in our bodies. You know, I mean, we can't control the world and we really can't control any politician or, you know, new viruses coming through. But what we do have amazing agency over is ourselves and hence the triad of health um, model that we work with and the triad really is um, our structure so how we are physically our biochemistry which is what we're going to hear from charity today and down the line we've got a psychologist lined up for our mental emotional um, health so let's go Awesome. I'm excited. All right. We'll jump into how to make baby's foods made simple. And I'll leave you today with three simple foods to start with for anyone listening in, any caretakers, parents, or people who might be curious today. So the first questions I often get as a nutritionist is, when do I know my baby's ready for solids? Uh, so for the scientific reason, for Bub's developmental reason, normally four to six months. Why this is, is that baby has a lot of nutrients stored in its body from the placenta, from being in the womb, and around four 
to six months, it starts to deplete. It doesn't quite get enough what it needs from breast milk or formula, particularly iron, which we'll touch on and talk about. So normally between four to six months, normally if baby is sitting up, they're able to hold their head up. That's a great sign. They'll be able to safely begin solid food. Bob's going to let you know if they're interested in food, watching you eat, kind of moving their mouth and chewing when they look at you eat food, maybe open their mouth when a spoon goes by. And often too, if they're a bit fussy and not really satisfied after breast milk or formula, they, they want more and they're, they're crying out for more as well. So those are some signs that your baby is ready for solids. And just kind of on that, is there a point where it's too early to introduce solids? In yeah, your yeah. That's a that's a really great question. Yeah, too early. Um, I would say around four months. Baby's not going to have the development for its swallowing techniques and to actually have the right microbiome to absorb the nutrients in solid foods. It knows breast milk or formula, and that's what it's made for. Um, often, when you start to first feed kids, or if you see they push out food with their tongue and onto their lips, that's normal. That's healthy. That's actually a survival instinct they have to protect from solids actually getting ingested into their body if it's not physically ready. So you might often see Bubby doing that. And let's say maybe they give you these signs at four months, but they just continue week after week to push it out. Don't force it. Wait a little bit more time. That's okay. Or of course, chat with your physician um, if you're unsure, depending on your baby's unique self, different personality, you know. And then too late. How how late? Yeah, I would say after six months, it starts to get a little bit concerning, particularly when it comes to iron. So Bub is going to be using up most of its iron by six months, and it's going to need some iron-rich foods and other nutrients that we cannot find in high enough amounts that come from breast milk and formula. So six, I'd say max seven months is most likely a safe bet for most babies. And for most people, are they doing sort of a combination of, you know, still breastfeeding um, and then supplementing some things with solids or what's kind of the general gist of what they should be doing? Yeah, balance is great. You still want to be giving your baby breast milk or formula, whatever's safest and you know, able for them up until 12 months. So a mix of that is ideal. You still want to continue feeding them as you begin kind of that weaning phase for 12 months, just so that they can get the essential nutrients that can only come from those items. Some people often too, which I recommend for babies who might be a little more sensitive to new tastes or a little bit more um, fussy is even adding breast milk into the food you're pureeing or you're giving them for familiar flavors and for that mix of nutrients too. Some babies aren't even really interested in breast milk after solids. So it also works for that to make sure they are getting what they need from the breast milk and formula that solids might not be able to give them. So that's a great question. Yeah, it's a good tip. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find any um, correlation between um, the mom or dad's allergy um, profile and the baby's? Yeah, absolutely. Allergies are such a big topic now and just something we're more aware of and often more prevalent too. Um when it comes to baby's development, the period that's carrying them, it is important if they can safely have allergy foods to have that to introduce the baby to those foods and to start to build antibodies so they don't have histamine reactions thinking it's a dangerous foreign thing. Um, and if you are breastfeeding or feeding your child to be exposed to those items too, and we'll touch on you know, introducing bubs to those, but yes, absolutely, those those communications come through the parents, through the system, through the blood flow, through the milk, um, and also through observation and environment. So it is important and I think has a big impact in, in the baby's development over time and their sensitivity to things. 100%. So, so you're saying that it's good to expose a child to um, some food so they don't actually get ah. So that's a huge turnaround from, say, 20 years ago, wasn't it, when they were so limited and they're getting 
more and more allergies as a result. Yeah, sometimes it's like that whole bubble baby syndrome, like parents mm. have so many great intentions and protect from the outside world or from certain foods that they know might be allergy ridden. But what it does is when baby's learning balance in the body and what's good and what's bad, uh, at the time when they're able to make those connections, if they're not getting it and they, let's say, get exposed to an allergen later down the line, the reaction can be quite severe. The body's like, what is this? It might just be a certain um, vegetable or egg or something. And because it didn't have, you know, a little hint of what those foods were and the, the tolerance, it might see it as a foreign, scary, dangerous object can have a histamine reaction, an allergic reaction in them. So, yeah, exposing your baby to allergen foods is actually... Uh, very important, extremely important um, from what we're learning. And I'll give you some simple ways on how to do that in a very safe way, because I know it's scary, but it it's going to help you and baby down the line get those answers early on. Yeah, cool. And so do you want to start talking about, you know, this baby led weaning? Like what, what does that look like and where should people start? Yeah. So there's normally two different kinds of weanings that you hear about in modern time. There's parent led and then there's baby led and you can definitely do a combination of both so parent led is where you see your child giving you the signs there are six months they need some food um, so you make purees without any lumps very very soft purees and you start to introduce them on a spoon to babe you're on your finger um, so it's the parent kind of taking action other babies are maybe more handheld and have an interest in putting things in their mouth you can give them handheld soft and steamed foods to suck on or to kind of like gnaw on a little bit where they're putting it in their mouth with their hand um, I find that most babies like a little bit of both which is good for their hand-eye coordination their development their understanding and their brain connection when it comes to food and um it is both are messy but i find they both have really great benefits so the style has changed when, so so my kids are all um quite old now because um because i'm quite old <laughs> uh, so the styles have changed quite a lot since um my first child was born 31 years ago so i think we went through um a period of having a lot of packaged food those rice cereals and then I, I think Heinz had a pretty um, good grip on people's um, thoughts about good nutrition. So lots of tin food, canned food, packaged mm. food. And then the style went towards um, starting them off on vegetables or fruit. Okay. Um, Jasper, my oldest, actually got started off on brains. He'll <laughs> mm. kill me. Um, so in your view, is it best to start with vegetable material or bone broth? I think it definitely is, should be a mix. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter what the first, first food is really, as long as you're giving them a mix of, I think, vegetable sources, protein sources. Uh, I would say that I normally, I'll, I'll start off with this. You know, I make it really simple by saying there's three categories that I would start with. Um, so introduce, let's say their first week or over the course of a few weeks where you introduce one of each category to make it simple for your bub. Um, the first is to introduce foods that are high iron would be one of the things to introduce um, foods that are more calorie dense or energy dense and then an allergy food. And normally introducing this food for around two to three days at a time, just one of them. And then moving on to the next, just to see how your bubby reacts, how they like it, <laughs> taking that experience so you you know how it's suiting their body. And this can, I'll give you some examples, you know, this can be done baby led, this can be done parent led. There's a few different ways with it. Uh, Jake, to talk about, you know, how they really wanted children to do like the packaged food that has 
uh, some detriment because it can be highly processed or the nutrients pretty much boiled out of these foods or they can be high, sometimes added salts or sugars for preservation, the canned stuff. And babies have very sensitive taste buds. So that's not always the best idea nowadays that we've learned. And um, even when it comes to just vegetables and fruits, they're not very calorie dense. So some parents... And as a nutritionist too, they might not be getting enough energy for their developing bodies and brains. So they're not bad things to have, but maybe not something that we need to solely go for. So whole foods more often is going to get them more and be more beneficial and be more enjoyable for them too, as they develop. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to jump into those three food categories. If you'd like to hear about it. Yeah, please. Yeah. Awesome. So for Baby's first foods may simple three categories. First one's high iron foods, um, whether it's going to be pureed, like pureed black beans, um, organic non-GMO tofu for some people, pureed mints from chicken, turkey, or beef, green leafy vegetables too. I normally will add a little bit of something with vitamin C with that. So whether it's a bit of capsicum or a little bit of lemon or something for better absorption for our bodies whenever we have iron for babies and for adults. Ideally, no salt added to these items, just pure uncanned um, or just, you know, canned in water for them. And, you know, you can have it pureed, but if it's baby led, for example, let's say you're giving them some beef, you can actually cook a strip of beef and have them suck on it in their hand. They're not going to chew it, obviously, with their little gums, but they can suck on it and get the juices out of it. And that's one way to get their iron up. And really important, I say, you know, maybe the first food just for safekeeping is a high iron food, you know, because they do deplete that after six months and they do need that first and foremost. Um, so they'll really benefit from having iron rich foods first off and their body's going to want that and crave that almost. And they might be more receptive as you start out introducing new foods later. So yeah, high iron foods, definitely a go-to. The next one's a more calorie dense, aka energy dense foods. Calories aren't a bad thing, especially if you're a children, it's just a unit of how we measure energy. And they need fuel. They want to grow. They want to learn. So some calorie dense foods would be avocado and this can be pureed or Bubby can even hold on to a little slice and have a little suck on it. Um, sweet potato can be quite nice and calorie dense, whether it's a little baton of that that's steamed or pureed. Banana, batons on banana for them to chew on, suck on. And even mango too can be a nice energy rich item there. So some calorie dense foods. And then last would be allergy foods, the scary one I know, but um, whether it's pureed or something that can handhold and suck on um, some common allergy foods, some of which I already mentioned, but ones that can be reactive for some people would be egg. So even like yolk and white separately to, to notice because some people can be sensitive to one or the other. Um, salmon, a wheat-based bread, natural yogurt, nut and peanut butter, even sesame like tahini. Even if you don't intend to have your child grow up eating maybe some of these all the time, because I know some of these foods can be anti-inflammatory, might not align with your values and your household, but it is good, good to expose them early to prevent a reaction later on or to discover an allergic reaction later on when their body might have a more extreme reaction with that as well. And with that, with any food, whether it's allergy or not, I think it's wise to have that food, the same food, you know, for two, three days. A really good tip is to feed bub earlier in the day, often after a milk feed early morning or sorry, excuse me, mid morning or after lunch, about 30 minutes after and monitor them. Just because if you're feeding them at dinner time, you would go to bed, bub goes to bed and there's a reaction. You might not catch it, you know, in a safe amount of time. So good to go early, early in the day for that one. And um, keep out for signs of allergic reaction or intolerance. It's different for every person. Rash, hives, wheezing, difficulty breathing, sometimes vomiting, excess gas, diarrhea, blood in their stools. You know, if you're experiencing this, call your pediatrician, stop feeding them that food, of course. And, um, you know, go to the ER if something's very severe. Don't 
hesitate to to get medical assistance if you are worried and it's not something that looks natural because allergic reactions can take minutes or days to sometimes appear. So take it slow, watch. If you're ever unsure, it's good to have peace of mind. Call a trusted healthcare practitioner that knows you, knows your baby, um, or call you know the ER if you really need to, if, if it's something that you're unsure about. Being a pediatric chiropractor, we get lots of patients bring in their babies. And the big one actually is constipation. Do you mm. find that's the thing? Yeah, um, I think more often than not, we we're seeing this. And actually, our little nephew was dealing with this recently and had a good old evacuation after quite a few days of constipation. Um, from what I've seen, uh, and I'm not a pediatrician, but from what I've seen with patients having even sometimes a week where they're not passing can be normal. But if they're showing signs of pain, discomfort, excess wind, that's when the body is might be impacted and things aren't moving as smoothly as they need to be. So that's a great time to talk to your doctor. Mm, okay. I mean, being a chiropractic um, practice, we do have certain methods that we um, mm. do use to stimulate certain nerves yeah. that, you know, help peristalsis. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering whether you would advise certain foods to be avoided in the meantime or encouraged. Mm. That's a good question. Or or just a simple thing of having more fluids or going easy on proteins. Fluids can be a good one as well. So Bob can safely be given water in a sippy cup at around six months old. So Mm. starting with some fluids would be a good one to loosen things up and have things moving. Iron can be quite binding too. So making sure, you know, you are mixing things up. And once you're kind of testing out the first foods of high iron, the calorie dense and allergy foods, adding in some different factors vegetables, some different fruits too, which is going to give you a mix of fibers that can help move things along. So not only the water, but yeah, adding in some fresh fruits and vegetables, even particularly ones that have a good amount of pectin. So pear and apple, if they can safely have that pureed or soften for them to to suck on can be really beneficial to move things along. Um, There's also massage too, which it sounds like that's what Mm -hmm. you do in your practice to yeah cause the stimulation, the peristalsis to get the food and the waste flowing throughout the body. So definitely try those items out. Get a mix first and foremost um, and see if that helps baby feel more comfortable and have more natural, I guess, flow with things, 100%. Mm. Yeah, there's a sort of bunch of nerves that which were formed mm-hmm. during, well, during um, in utero, actually, and all those midline nerves can be gently stimulated to cause um, a sort of more efficient parasitic action. So we often mm-hmm. show the parents how to do that. It's not necessarily abdominal massage at all, Mm -hmm. not through the abdomen, but through various other nerve endings that appear on our body's surface. That's awesome. So yeah, so that's kind of fun to do. Um, But going back to episode eight, the cortisol levels you talked about in real humans, you know, like adults. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, Is this the case with children as well? Are they also highest in the morning? Yeah, 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 often they are. Like their little circadian rhythm and balance is a bit different. That's because they are sleeping more. Um, so they will have more higher rises and dips uh, throughout the day for, for young children and for infants. Um, so you do see that for sure. Uh, having regular feeding times can help keep that balanced for them. Getting some sunlight on on them as well and kick around in the sun is really beneficial because in the, the day they are still human. They're not mini adults, of course, but they're still humans and can benefit from all the tips we talked about on episode eight Mm. yeah it's all family friendly besides the caffeine balancing probably good to avoid (laughs) avoid that (laughs) and and having um some carbs at dinner time perhaps yeah i think so once you're got a nice once you have a nice mix of foods you've introduced baby to and you know what works well for their body yeah having some carbs at dinner especially when 
you start to combine foods for them. They're getting a bit of meat, a bit of veg, a bit of carbs. It can definitely help bub sleep because it's going to help produce that melatonin in their system. So even throughout the day too, as they're napping and having going down to rest for most babies, uh, yeah, definitely it'll have the same effect. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so with all your examples that you gave, I one key thing that I took away was mm-hmm. plenty of a variety, right? So we're yeah. not sort of, you know, I know you said, um, the same thing for a couple of days, which I think is really important to mm-hmm. not only have Bub's system get used to it, but, mm-hmm. you know, looking out for reactions and things like that. Um, but is is one of the key things to yeah, introduce a variety of foods yes. as well? Yeah, definitely give baby a variety as their taste buds develop. And also because their, their gut's developing too, different gut bacteria like different foods. So you don't want to overfeed one and underfeed another. You want a nice, beautiful balance for their overall health and happiness as they become adults. So variety is key for any age, especially infants to yeah try new things out. Even if it's something you don't like, mm. baby might need that and might really like it. So it's a good way for you to learn as well. <laughs> a little bit like what we talked about earlier. So it gets yeah. you to try, try new things or old things too. Yeah. You and also too, benefit. you know, when parents, or um, caretakers are, you know, they might be paleo or vegan mm-hmm. and things like that. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on, yeah, on on that? You know, if they're mm-hmm. um, if that's the way they live and that's their lifestyle and and how Bub might fit into that. What yeah, your opinion is. you definitely can have a healthy, balanced lifestyle that works for you and your Bubby. I would definitely say you know, speak to a nutritionist, happy to help with that, a dietitian to, to make sure it works for your baby. Yeah. Um, because, you know, let's say it's a vegan lifestyle you live, you want to make sure your bub's getting all their essential amino acids and B12. And there are ways to do that within our diet for you and for babies, really important. And for paleo as well, making sure they're getting a right mix of macronutrients. They might not need more fats than you do as an adult who's on a paleo diet. Um, they might not need as much proteins as you do on, on that. And they might need more carbs as well well and of course recommend the most natural healthy sources that are coming out of the earth for for both of y'all so yeah and you know i touched on it too with allergy foods uh let's say that you do live a paleo lifestyle or ketogenic or or vegan exposing your baby to these allergy foods is actually going to be their benefit. So we live a pretty vegan lifestyle. We call ourselves seagans. Uh, <laughs> we eat seafood as well. Um, so we're seagans here. But I, and while I would like to raise my child to be more plant-based um, in our household, I still will choose to expose them to things like egg and to meat and different things so that, you know, if they do decide down the line that they're going to change their lifestyle, that their body is not going to be having a severe reaction um, or we know that they're not going to react to it in a certain way and we can build a bit of immunity and balance within their microbiome and their histamine reactors. So from a nutritionist standpoint, I think outside my choices of lifestyle and I want my bub to be exposed and have a strong system to handle whatever's thrown at it. It's different for every parent, of course, but from a scientific and a practical and an open-minded standpoint, that's that's what I would believe. Yeah, it's throwing lots of things on its head because I can remember once again um, being in the kids' canteen at school um, helping out and there would be one child's photo with um, an allergy notice, you know, saying if this kid comes to the tuck shop, not to give him X, Y, and Z. But by the time my kids had finished at that school, which was some 15 or 16 years later, the whole wall was plastered with um, photos of kids who were allergic to to something or other. And I just thought, what what happened to the community, you know, in that time? They just got less and less tolerant. 
Yeah, I think it yeah. starts with good intention and mm. just ever changing science and practicality. You know, instead of like we want to protect our children, don't want them to eat dirt and don't want them to be exposed to possible allergy triggers early on. But that then doesn't set up their immune system and their active system to be able to handle it later when it's not in that developmental stage mm. as often. And I think it also there's an example I was thinking of um, when it comes a bit blanking on it. Uh, I guess, yeah, for germs even, like an immune system and different pathogens, it goes the same. Um, but I'll get back to it because there's a, a point I wanted to make that was a mm -hmm. bit of an analogy or metaphor that goes along with it. But yeah, just good intentions. Oh, actually, it was talking about even food and fullness levels. So good intention as parents is finish your plate. You know, there's starving children, X, Y, Z. Uh, and what that can lead to is kids who have an unhealthy relationship with food or don't know how to listen to their fullness signals or their satisfaction signals. And well, it's good intention because because we don't want to waste food. You know, we're not making separate meals for these kids. It can affect the children later when it comes to actually eating enough or eating too much too. So it's a, it's a fine line and yeah, we're learning. Well, we often tell um, our, our young parents, you know, the child's fist is about the same size mm -hmm. as his or her stomach. Mm -hmm. So they're often upset when the child doesn't finish a whole plate of food. But I said, make make its fist. And I say, that's that's what mm -hmm. it can fit in right now. You know, yeah. as the food passes through to the small intestine, maybe a bit more can go in. But right now, that's all they can fit in. So as you mm -hmm. said, you know, finishing off the food just for the sake of it doesn't really make much sense. That's right. And mm. we're raised that way. And like I said, good intention is in there mm. for the best of the family and for the kid. But we're learning that, yeah, it can backfire in many ways and create other issues we don't always predict. And I work with parents all the time on how to introduce foods to family or maybe they're grown children or teenagers and they're, you know, very picky or picky adults, spouses. You know, we work with that as well. Uh, you know, overgrown kids, all of us are at the end of the day. It's just having the food there, having it available, not making a fuss about it because naturally we want to resist when someone tells us to do something or eat something and being a good example. You're eating it, keep presenting it. Eventually that kid's hungry. They're going to go for it. Hmm. They're going to go for it. And um, we find ways to make that work within families. And it takes time. It does take time. You know, habits aren't built or broken overnight. We don't go to ABCs to, to calculus. So have an open mind, open heart for you and for your kids or big kids when you are introducing new foods or reintroducing them as well. Hmm. And you do have some caveats here, um, avoid giving babies some things. Yeah, so they're definitely, you know, you do want to give a variety of nutrients to your kids. But um, as mentioned, your know, babies aren't just small adults. They do have different immune systems, different ba uh, healthy bacteria in their system to break things down. They regulate heat differently. So there are certain things we have to be aware of. So a common one you may or may not know is honey. Honey, especially in its raw form, can contain small traces of botulism. Um, same thing that causes the black plague and isn't Botox nowadays, um, which is fine for adults to ingest in small quantities. It's, it's natural, but for babies it can um, be very detrimental. So it's best to avoid anything with honey or honey by itself. It looks like a palatable food for bub, but not a really great choice for them. Chocolate and caffeine as well. And there's caffeine in chocolate. Chocolate can be quite stimulating to a baby. Um, it can cause high cortisol, high stress levels on them, uh, which in turn can impact learning and development, which we touched on on episode eight as well. So, and can be quite extreme that sugar and fat hit can light up different pathways in their brain that can make other foods like fruit and veggies who are naturally sweet, a little less appealing because they're getting a taste of the good life. Mm. And out of survival, us humans, naturally, we're not broken. It's just our genes want the sweetest fat quickest fix possible. So it's good to give them natural sources early on. 
Um, as well as cow's milk. Cow's milk is fine if, if you are exposing your baby to some dairy or if it's in some baked goods or things that you're making later on that you're having your child try. But you don't want to replace breast milk or baby formula solely for cow's milk um, because it does not say contain the same nutrient profile that human or, or formulated breast milk will. Um, we're not baby cows, so baby cows get what they need from that. Our babies are built very differently. So it's fine to have a little bit if you're exposing them to it, especially as an allergy food, but don't let that be the the sole source. Um, it can also inhibit iron absorption, which as we've learned today, iron is super important for bub because that's the one nutrient that's really depleted by around six months. So uh, cow's milk by itself, not the best, but here and there's fine. I also said, you know, processed cereals and grains. Um, this is because often they have a lot added to them. You know, if you're just giving them some cook period quinoa and eventually, you know, quinoa with this and that blended in or I, you know, rice that you're having with them, that's fine. Or maybe it's puffed rice where there's no added sugar, but because a lot of these cereals do have added folic acid and added iron and they're fortified, there's a lot going on and it's going to be hard to pinpoint what a reaction's coming from. So it's best to go for whole forms as much as possible, especially when it comes to grains. Uh, so avoiding the packaged foods is ideal because they do have a lot of salts and preserved preservatives that could cause a reaction for baby. And then lastly is processed meats. And that's very similar to, you know, processed meats and even like cold cheeses. A lot of pregnant people are advised to stay away from um, just because of the bacteria that could grow in those cold forms. And then also I, because of the processing, the nitrates and the sulfites and salts and sugars added to it isn't, it's gonna be hard to pinpoint what's going on in that and how baby is going to react. And they're very sensitive taste buds. So it might be too much too soon for them. And comment on soy, soy milk, because you know how some kids um, are on formula, but it's soy based or something else based. Yeah, you know, soy is a tricky one. Um, a lot of commercial soy milks that we find in the Western countries come from very highly processed GMO sources. They're not the same soybeans that you might see over in Asia or Japan, even specifically where they have a high soy diet. That's you know, often very pure, fermented, easy to digest soy. Uh, commercially ones here in Australia and in the US and Canada, often you don't really know the source of where that's coming from. They're not nutrient dense uh, and they can be disruptive to your baby or even your endocrine system because of the phytoestrogens. So if you are going to be going soy based, look for natural, non-GMO, often not from milk sources, but I'd say like tempeh, which is fermented. So it's not going to have that same phytoestrogen kind of reaction. Miso as well, if you're, you know, going down and doing a little cooking or just having them try it um, or non-GMO organic tofu, which even Coles and Woolies does sell some of those guys too. So you taste the difference, you'll feel the difference. Um, and is a safer bet or nowadays to uh, a lot of infant formulas that are dairy free. Um, we sell some locally made ones, insert freshwater nutrition. Those are going to be more pea protein based. Um, and then often you'll see like a seed or a grain added to that to complete that protein. So like pea and pumpkin seed or pea and rice that they use in there. And often it is more gentle on a baby's developing system. Hmm. Good. And these foods then um, avoiding until about what age? I would say avoid until at least 12 months for the honey. I wait until a child is probably three or four as they're starting to get stronger and they have a bit of a stronger immune system as well. So that's one 
that I would recommend later, but the other ones, maybe 12 months, I think they can handle it because they don't really need the breast milk as well. They don't necessarily need the formula for most children. So their body's going to be receptive and ready for a bit more variety. I mean, caffeine, I wouldn't really have that till everybody 18, <laughs> if you can. But when it comes to slightly more processed stuff, if you choose to have that in, in the life or a little more dairy or a little bit of chocolate, that's okay. Just listen to what feels right for you as a parent and see what is right for baby as well. Because at the end of the day, it's your choice together and what's going to be best for them. Mm, very interesting. And um, in an episode previously, we also mentioned chewing because we're, mm. as a profession, really interested in um, that, you know, sort of chomping mechanism, developing yeah. um, strength in our jaws, but also once again for peristalsis, because yeah. as you know, digestion begins in the mouth, um, stress release, you know, mm-hmm. cranial development, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, so chewing foods and when can they chew a nut? Probably not until they're about all their molars are here. Oh, yeah, they're, they're chewing before they have teeth. They're gumming mm. things. Yeah, pretty much yeah. early on, you'll notice. So they're already putting into practice that muscle development and mm. starting the digestion. Yeah, at the mouth. Because if we don't chew properly, our baby doesn't chew properly, the food's in our stomach and our body's not ready. It's not mm. like it hasn't started to break those down with our saliva and the blood flow's not there to move things along. So food can tend to sit in our tummy and ferment at not an ideal rate and can lead to a lot of discomfort and issues, of course. So babies are pretty good at starting to chew and, and you'll start to notice it, them gnawing on their fingers, or your fingers or toys as well, teething. Yeah. But um, it's also putting that into practice instinctually. So you'll notice they'll be gumming things the same way we'd be chewing things mm. pretty so like early on. Lamb cutlet bones was saying before before, you know, just mm. strip all the meat off and give it to the child to um, chomp on rather than a mm-hmm. than a dummy, you know, or a, or a rat. Yeah, <laughs> some nutrition in there. That's right. Some yeah. iron. I mean, there's merits yeah. to that. That's very paleo <laughs> to have those around. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So do you want to finish us off with kind of a recap on your three little things that you want to share with parents when they're starting this journey of parent or baby led weaning and introducing some solids? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the three categories to start with, you know, for your baby's first foods made simple, high iron foods, calorie dense foods and allergy foods. Those are the first ones that I would recommend starting with Uh, and some tips with that, you know, trying a feed mid morning or after lunch, you can monitor. Stick with one food for around three days to monitor those responses, of course. Um, And for temperature is a big one too. Some parents aren't sure uh, to leave you with some more tips is just like breast milk or formula body temperature. You want the food to be body temperature. If it's too cold, too hot, they can reject it or it can cause harm. So body temperature for anything that you're giving them. Mix some breast milk or formula for familiarity and nourishment for baby, of course, and still give uh, breast milk or formula with solids up to 12 months of age for the best development for your baby as well. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, beautiful. Awesome. And share with our listeners, Charity, where they can find you. Fantastic. So for our locals, come by Freshwater Nutrition on Lawrence Street in the Freshy Arcade in Freshwater. We'd love to have a chat with you. Or alternatively, you can visit our website, freshwaternutrition.com, or even visit us on Instagram at Freshwater Nutrition. Give us a call, send us an email, uh, send us a DM. We work with folks in person, but also over Zoom and over the phone for our international communities. So we would love to connect with you and create a custom plan for you, your family, for your baby, whoever you'll be supporting. And uh, we even offer free 15 minute discovery calls if you just want to have a chat and see what might be best for you. Yeah, awesome. And you can find us on Facebook at The Three Little Things and on Instagram at the three little things dot pod. But that is episode nine. And we are so thankful to have had you, Charity. Thank you for all your knowledge over the last two episodes. Um, and I can't wait for them to drop in our listeners to 
yeah, get all that value that you just shared with us. So thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Lily. This is a lot of fun. And I know there's a lot more to learn and share in the future. Thank Thank you. you. A quick disclaimer, these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.